Uh, today we're going to be looking in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I uh, want to first of all uh, give a shout out to all my grandkids. They've been sending me uh, videos and stuff of us, uh, them watching me and stuff. So I just want you to know Pop loves you. What we call that is pastoral privilege, okay? <laughs> so all 12, if uh, Pop loves you, glad you're listening. And uh, also I uh, want to talk a minute about Brother Bill. Brother Bill is uh, sick, not with the current virus that's going around, but he is sick. And uh, got bronchitis and uh, he's coughing really bad. So he's not able to be up here. Uh, but y'all all pray for him. And uh, he's on another round of antibiotic. And he certainly desires your prayers. And yes, I did ask him if it was okay for me to say that. And he said it was okay. Uh, so Romans chapter 8 tonight, or today, three verses. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. We know. We don't know. We know. Romans 8 is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture in the Bible. It's a part of a book that was written by the Apostle Paul to the churches at Rome, uh, who at the time of the writing of this book had not received a visit from an apostle and were struggling with some of the foundational principles of Christianity. It spells out for us the great truth of justification by faith, and it sets it then against the dark uh, reality of, human, of humanity's rejection of God's revelation to them and the resulting sin and depravity that came from that. He wrote in a difficult time. Today's cultural bias against Christianity is really no different than what it was at the beginning. The Jews hated the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Romans didn't like it much either. The Greeks declared it to be foolishness, stupid, their words. But always there's been a cross-section of humanity, both Jews and Gentiles, male and female, educated and uneducated, wealthy and impoverished, and they all have one thing in common. They have all responded to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and embraced it as what it is. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's in verse 16 of Romans chapter 1. Right up front then, we see that God has an entirely different way of viewing the human condition than we have. And because God sees us differently, then He assesses our needs differently. We know that because it tells us everything. That God sent us a Savior. Not a philanthropist to eradicate poverty. Not a scientist to deal with all the problems of the world. We'll talk more about those later. Not even a physician to heal, although Jesus did a lot of healing while he was here. Ultimately, he sent us the Savior who could deal with what only he could deal with, and that is the power of sin and of death. And so as we look at these great passages this morning that talk about things that we know and what we don't know, 
we're going to have to set that in the context of Romans chapter 8 to see uh, what he's talking about. The chapter begins with the great declaration of there is no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And it ends with the concept of no separation. What can separate us from the love of God or the love of Christ? And so no condemnation is one end of it. No separation is the other. And these are the two glorious bookends for the Christian revelation and experience. And both of those truths are planted and rooted and in fact made possible only by the fact that they are in Christ Jesus. You see, if our relationship with God was based on our efforts, on our works then we could never be assured that there would be no condemnation and no separation. You see, the only way that those things could be true is if we could somehow attain a standard of absolute perfection and sinlessness. Now, I'm not going to deny today that it's possible for us to have some pretty good days along the way. I've said it a lot of times. I remember a really good day I had back in 1982. We might spring those days together and have maybe a whole week where we look back and you say, you know, I just don't see any big flub-ups anywhere. This last week, I think I had a really, really exceptional week. But we're not talking about a day or a week or a month or even a year, but a lifetime of absolute sinless perfection. And the fact is that even if we could do that, and we can't, but if we could, (laughs) we'd get proud of ourselves and ruin the whole thing because the Bible says God hates pride. And pride would mess it all up. So if our relationship with God was based on our works and our efforts, there could be no condemnation. We can never say there's no condemnation. We can never say there's no separation because we couldn't have that assurance at all. If it was based on our religious rituals, traditions, and practices, then again, there could be no condemnation and no separation. Those two things could not be declared Because they would only be real for us as long as we stay in the good graces of the church. In that case, the passage would say that these things are in the church. All the things of Romans chapter 8 would be in the church and not in Christ Jesus. That's one of the greatest problems that ever developed in the Christian faith. Was to take the blessings that are assured to us in Jesus Christ. And somehow make them dependent on our membership, our affiliation Uh, with the church. Uh, The church is people. You know that. It's not an institution or building. And whatever that we put then in the hands of the church, we put in the hands of a group of people who are just as much sinners as anybody else. And we can clean them up, wash them up, give them whatever title we want to give them, put them in whatever robe they want to wear. But at the end of the day, it's still sinful people. That's what's always been wrong with the idea of making in Christ the same as being in the church. It is not. It is not. Now those who are in Christ need to be in the church. God has a plan for that. But it's not to make our eternal destiny dependent on us being in the good graces of the church. It's very important. 
So Paul jumps immediately into this great truth in Romans chapter 8. He says in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. You see, we might well wonder how God could promise us that there would never be any condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We might wonder about that if we didn't know what these passages tell us, and that is that Jesus Christ took all of our condemnation, all of our sin to the cross and bore it for us. We might well wonder how God could promise that nothing could separate us from His love if we did not know that Jesus promised us that He would never leave us nor forsake us. You see, all of us are sinners by nature and we're all sinners by choice. We choose to sin. We prefer sin. All of us then in our natural condition fall under the condemnation of God that said the wages of sin is death. We're all sinners. But the gospel is the good news of God and it tells us that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. You see this chapter, the whole thing, Romans chapter 8, is rooted in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that tells us that because Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again from the dead, He lives to forgive our sins, to reconcile us to God, and secure our eternal destiny. Right now, we are all feeling the possibility of our own mortality. We feel our weakness a little more acutely these days. You see, security is something we tend to take for granted, but, but no more. Uh, the sickness that is uh, racing around the world uh, makes us all know, I can't promise that all of us will survive it. But I can make you this promise. You can have the assurance of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John chapter 5 and verse 24 says, Verily, verily, I say to you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. There that is again. And Jesus himself said it. Shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's because we believe on Jesus Christ. I want to ask you all then this morning the most pointed and most important question that I can answer, the most important question, or that I can ask you, the most important question that you can answer. Have you believed on Jesus Christ? Have you heard His Word and responded to that good news of the gospel that He died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again, and that He'll forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life? If you'll believe on Him, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your own Savior? Unless you have done that today, then the rest of the truth that I'll consider in this message really will only serve to show you what you can have if you'll only receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. But for the rest of us who know the Lord Jesus, I can spend some amazing time this morning showing you the things that Paul says we know because we know Jesus. And yes, even the things that we don't know. Now, I've preached about these things before. But I've never connected these three in the way that I'm going to do this morning. And the way, in fact, that they are connected in our text. 
I want you to look at it again. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. We know that. Verse 26, uh, we do not know what we should pray for. Verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. We know, we don't know, we know. There's something you see we know about creation. And that is that the whole creation is groaning. There's something that we don't know as we consider the groaning of the creation. We don't know how to pray. We think we do, but we really don't. But we do know that God is working all things together for good. Now, of those who love Him. Now, I want us to spend some time looking at those three truths. All of them tied together in this great passage. First of all, he says, we know that the creation groans. And he actually began that discussion in verse 18. He said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He talks then about human suffering, the suffering of this present time. He presents our suffering in this life as a giving. There is suffering that is built into our existence. Now we're conditioned to expect quick fixes and we believe that there's a way for us to fix everything. We even think we can control the weather these days. But now listen, the child of God sees another principle at work in all of this. And what we see then is what is declared in this text it is the groaning of the entire creation and our suffering, our human suffering, is simply a part of that much larger picture of the groaning of the whole creation. And when Paul considers then the cumulative effect of all of the suffering that we experience in this life, we put it all together. He said it's not even worthy to be compared with the glory that we are going to experience as the children of God. That's a great passage. If you set a candle up in a dark room, that candle seems to put out a lot of light. And it does, especially your eyes are acclimated to the darkness. Suddenly there's a candle burning. Wow, that's a really bright candle. But set it up, set it up same candle, out in the noonday sun. And it seems like the, night is, the, light, the candle is not giving out any light at all. Why? Because the feeble light of that candle is just overshadowed by the light of the sun. Our suffering seems very big to us. <laughs> There's no such thing as really small suffering. Ask any man, he'll tell you. I'll tell you, we, none of us suffer really well. Uh, my, uh, my suffering, it seems so big. Uh, but Paul says it's going to be like that candle in the noonday sun. It, it's going to be eclipsed by the glory uh, that is coming. So we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. And it's set against that concept. We are experiencing this then as a part of what the whole creation experiences. Hurricanes, earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, droughts, worms, rust, disease, cancer, heart attacks, pestilences. The whole creation folk is groaning all the time. All the time. 
They're the deeper symptoms that we see sometimes. The, the things that really bother us of human depravity, of murder and violent crimes and suicide and war and terrorism and abuse and famine and pestilence. Yes, uh, yes. The suffering of the humanity and the suffering and groaning of a whole creation that is locked into a cycle of decline and death. We live in this every day, folk. We didn't just start three weeks ago or a month ago or the first year of the year. We've been locked into this cycle our whole life. And all of us, along with the whole creation, Paul tells us, is waiting for the redemption, the rescue that comes to us through Jesus Christ. We get conditioned to it for the most part. None of us ever really go through a day just thinking about gravity. But if we drop our cell phone, we know what's going to happen. Oh, got to grab it. If we trip, we know what's going to happen. Oh, I'm going to fall. We're conditioned to living a life under the power of the law of gravity. We are conditioned to living our life under the groaning of the creation. We know it's happening. We see it all the time. We see its effects. But we get used to it. Until all of a sudden something happens and it reminds us, hey, <laughs> the creation is groaning. We know it, you see. We might file it away in a back corner of our mind somewhere for a while. We might close the book on it and set it up on a shelf. But the book is still there. We can close the file, but the file is still there. The creation is groaning and our part of it, human suffering, is just part of that. And against that then, Paul says, we know that, but we don't know. We don't know what we should pray for as we all. Thank God the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses or our infirmities. And the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Though we don't know, thank God the Spirit who lives in us does know. And so for a child of God, we can even glory, not only in the things that we know, yes, we know that the creation is groaning, but we can even glory in what we don't know. Because when I don't know what to do, thank God the Spirit of God lives in us, and He does. When I don't know what to pray, thank God the Spirit of God lives in me, and He does. And how many of you know this morning that when I shut up and the Spirit of God starts talking for me, that there's been a big improvement in my prayer life? Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul puts it right here in our text. We don't know what we should pray for as we ought. We don't know what the responses are. You see, there's something about the groaning of the creation that reminds us of our feeble vulnerability because we are so powerless when these mighty forces of the creation start showing up. And the thing for us to remember today is that when God made this thing, when God made the world, when He made man... He gave Adam dominion. Dominion. But then sin came. It's interesting that the very first thing Adam said after he sinned was, I heard your voice, God, and I was afraid. I was afraid. He had never been afraid before. He had dominion. <laughs> but now sin has entered the picture. And he's afraid. Adam knew something. He knew because God had told him that if he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would surely die. No wonder he was afraid. 
the crushing weight of his mortality had replaced the marvelous freedom of immortality, all he had ever known. And so we today, though we are conditioned to live with the groaning of the creation, so we also learn to live with the reality of our weakness in response to it. We struggle, all of us struggle, with an incurable and a fatal disease. The disease is called sin, and as far as this body and this life is concerned, it is incurable. It is incurable. If you ask me today how many of the current 7.75 or so billion people on this planet are going to die of COVID-19, I'd have to say, I have no idea. I can't tell you that. But, I, but if you ask me how many of the current 7.75 billion people on the planet are going to die, the answer is all of them. Every single one. To the tune of over 150,000 people a day worldwide who die. Not all of COVID-19. Heart attacks, cancer, accidents. Goes on all the time. It's going on right now. The Bible said it, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. As it is appointed a man wants to die, but after this the judgment... But you see, death is really only one part of this story because we're talking about the groaning of the creation and yes, ultimately that is death. Ultimately, that is sin and death and the curse that sin brought upon us, which is death. Yes, we do, but that's only one part because the whole creation is experienced this as well. If you ask me today, Brother Rich, do you believe in climate change? Of course I do. Uh, glaciers are melting. It would be hard to, for me to say that's not happening. That's not fake news. It's real. It's happening. Glaciers that have been here for thousands of years are melting in a matter of months. That's happening. We know it. On a more personal note, uh, I haven't seen snow to amount to anything in several years now around Cabot. I kind of miss it. I like to make snowmen. I do. I like getting snow days. I do. Uh, just hadn't had any. We're getting so much rain, I feel like I've moved to Oregon these days. So do I believe in climate change? Of course I do. Climate changes all the time. The big question is, what's causing it? There's droughts everywhere, earthquakes happening like we've never known them to happen before. And you see, our weakness as collective humanity is demonstrated then when we see this terrible groaning of the creation and we don't know what to do about it. We think we can fix it all, but we can't fix it all. How do we pray then in the light of these overwhelming things affecting all of humanity, affecting the whole world? How do we pray? I've often thought about our friends down on the coasts all around this country, especially on the Atlantic side and down into the Gulf. When the hurricane cranks up, either down the Gulf or off the Atlantic coast, you'll always see people start to pray, Lord, let, let it miss us. I mean, the hurricane's going to come ashore somewhere. But you know, when they're praying for it to miss them, they're praying for it to go south or north on the east coast. They're praying for it to go west or east down on the Gulf. But that just means they're praying for God, let it miss me, but 
hit somebody else. You ever thought about that? It's kind of odd. You see, we think we know what to pray for. But when we see the evidence of the groaning of the creation, it reminds us really quickly about how weak we are. Not only are we not able to do anything to stop it, but we really don't even know what to do with it. What's going on right now in the current crisis? Stay at home, cover up when you go out, and wash your hands. <laughs> 2020, and that's the best we got. Stay at home, keep your distance, wear a mask, wash your hands. Thank God our medical people are working. I'm praying for them every day to God. Help them find a cure. Help them get that vaccine going. I'm praying for it all the time. All the time. But the bottom line, things like this remind us of how weak we are and how that we really don't know how to respond. And in our usual way of praying, when we're praying, God, will God let this happen? God, help this happen? God, that just doesn't fit in a time like this, we don't know what to pray for. Thank God the Spirit in us does. So there's things that we know. We know the creation is groaning. There's things that we don't know. We don't know what to do about it or even what to pray about it. If I could stop there, that would have been an awful depressing message. I'm glad to be done with that part because the next part's really good. Because we know that God is going to work it all for good to those who love Him. We know it. I don't have time today to dive into the depths of the truths of this passage other than to say it's impossible to understand Romans 8.28 without understanding the purpose. Them who are the called according to this purpose. That is that God has a plan. And without being able to identify what that plan is, not the way we would like to, well what God's talking about is He has a, I'm not telling you He's got a plan for what you need to eat for, for supper tonight. Okay? Or where you're going to go to college or who you're going to marry. I'm talking about God's overarching plan of redemption. That's what Paul talks about. And he presents it in this way, verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Therefore, he tells us about his purpose, and there's three parts to it. Number one, he declares that his purpose was predestined. God is not making this up on the spur of the moment. He's had a plan all along and He's been operating that plan and that plan included the redemption of humanity. That plan is very clearly identified as God's plan to bring many sons into glory. That Jesus Christ would be only the firstborn of many, many, many who would be saved by the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Nobody who's ever saved is a surprise to God. That's true. God knows certainly who is going to be saved. He knows who the last person who is ever going to be saved. That's absolutely true. And uh, there's a mystery in that that I don't even try to explain. I'm perfectly comfortable with it. Uh, I don't know. You say, you say, how can this true be true? Romans eight twenty eight, and it also be true that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but everlasting life. Folks, I don't explain the hows or the whys. I just tell you the whats. Both of those are revealed to us in Scripture. It's right here before us. 
And the fact is that God is not making this plan up as it goes along. We are predestined for glory in Christ. That all those who would receive Jesus Christ and their Savior then, that has been predestined, has been planned before. But also then he says that we are prepared for glory in Christ. Whom he foreknew then, them he also called and he also justified. Over and over again, uh, the Bible mentions that salvation is of the Lord. Uh, salvation is by grace through faith. Uh, and yet salvation is of the Lord. All the credit goes to God. We don't save ourselves. We are, our, our part, if you want to call it a part, is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even that comes in response to the Word of God. I showed you that last week in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That is the incredible power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that calls us to believe on the Lord Jesus, and we do. So we are predestined for glory in Christ. We are prepared then for glory in Christ as we are justified, as we call upon the name of the Lord, as we trust then in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then not only are we predestined for glory and we're prepared for glory, but now here's where it really starts getting good and all of us have been good, but I mean this is really good. We are preserved for glory. And he'll go on in verse 32 and, calls, uh, and, and call our attention to it. This is a long reading. And I'll read it fast and you listen fast, okay? He that spared, as fast as I can with my Arkansas tongue, he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, I could preach a month on those passages. But I'll just pick out two. He said life or death. That means that nothing that's going to happen to you in this life can separate you from Jesus Christ, from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, and nothing that can happen to you after you die can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Folk, if you say life and death, nothing happens to you while alive and nothing happens to you after you're dead that's going to separate you from Jesus Christ that pretty well covers it all but I'm glad he went ahead and put all these other things in there oh then God gives us an eternal view in this passage to show us how it is real that there is no separation in Christ Jesus to show us how it is real that God is going to work all things for good to those that love God. That's because of that eternal view. But then there's also a very practical view. Just one more verse and we'll be done. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened to me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. A lot of bad stuff had happened to Paul. 
He was stoned, left for dead at Lystra. He was hated. He was being hounded by a group of people who were accusing him of sedition, which was a capital offense in ancient Rome. He was stirring up trouble, a troublemaker, and they could put him to death for that, especially since he was a Jew. He would be beaten, imprisoned, almost killed more times than we can count. And when he wrote this in Philippians, he was in Rome uh, in jail waiting for trial. And he tells them, I want you to know something. All these things have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm not telling you that everything happened to Paul was good. Because a lot of things that happened to Paul weren't good. But I'm telling you that God brought good out of them. Do you see that? The things that have happened have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. I'm praying today that we could see in our life how that God is working things out for the furtherance of the gospel. And we could see that maybe right now people are listening to the gospel preaching in a way they have never before in their life. That people, though they're confined at home and though they're afraid, though it's a terrible illness, and I'm not trying to tell you that God brought this illness as judgment, although some will say that. I can't tell you that He isn't. But I can tell you that Romans 8.28 applies. And I can tell you that I'm praying that God would use this time in our nation and around the world for the furtherance of the gospel. That this would be a time that you and I as God's people might say to our neighbors, you need Jesus in your life. That where we've been intimidated and afraid to speak, that all of a sudden we'd say, hey, why don't you tune in with me Sunday? Might take them a little while to get the sound going. Just stay with them. When you do, you're going to hear something that'll bless your heart because they got great music. And somebody gets up and tells you what the Bible says. You need to hear it. This could turn out to the furtherance of the gospel. We try every time when we have our services here to close out with a song and, and I picked one out today. Uh, this is an old song and some of you older folks like me probably remember, you might remember when Elvis did it back in the 60's. That's when I got familiar with it but actually it's a little bit older than that. You might remember uh, being at a Billy Graham crusade and you heard George Beverly Shea and my, what a great baritone voice that was. Uh, you might have heard him sing it. I can't sing it like Elvis, and I can't sing it like George Beverly Shea, uh, but I'm going to sing it with all my heart today, and if you'll hang with me for a minute, it'll bless you. Who made the mountains? Who made the trees? Who made the rivers flow to the seas? And who sends the rain? When the earth is dry Somebody bigger than you and I He lights the way When the road is long Keeps you company With love to guide you he walks beside you just as He walks with me. When I am lonely, filled with despair, 
who gives me courage to go on from there and who gives me faith that will never die somebody bigger than you and I. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that in times like this, that there is someone bigger than we are. That God, when we don't know what to do or even what to pray, we can rely on you, knowing that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Thankful. We're so thankful today, God, that our entire Christian existence is wrapped up around these two glorious promises. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And nothing can separate us from your love. We pray, God, that the things that are happening in our world right now would result in the furtherance of the gospel. We pray those who are listening even now might be reminded to ask themselves the question, have I believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? And we pray it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.